Chapter One of The Gentle Persuasion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Gentle Persuasion Sketches of Scottish Life by Alan Gray. The Colonel's Funeral many years have come and gone since i alan gray bade farewell to bonnie glenconan in which i spent the happy days of my childhood during these years i have feasted my eyes on some of the loveliest scenery in the empire my lot has been a most varied one bringing me in contact with all sorts and conditions of men yet in spite of these things i have never forgotten and never can forget the quiet sylvan beauty of my native glen or the quaint old-world characters who then lived in it all now alas gone over to the great majority the other day i had occasion to make a long and tedious journey across the snow-covered frost-bound prairie there was no wind to speak of the air though keen was not too cold for comfort my sleigh was well equipped my horses strong and willing my jehu a french canadian could speak very little english and my french was very rusty and so as conversation was denied me i lay back among the fur robes and fell into a reverie on the previous evening i had been in the company of a very dear friend the rev harold courtney one of the most devoted and enthusiastic clergyman in the great northwest in the course of conversation he happened to remark i have often wondered gray what led you the son of presbyterian parents to become an anglican you are not the sort of man that would act in a matter like this without the strongest convictions how did it all come about well courtney it is too long a story to tell to-night you are right however in supposing that i could not have made the change without being fully convinced of the superior claims of the anglican branch of the church it took me a long time to unlearn what had been so carefully taught me in my younger days and to see the defects of the system in which i had been reared it meant the severing of many associations that were very dear to me some day perhaps i'll tell you the whole story doubtless it was the memory of this chat that sent my wits a-wandering and called up before my mental vision scenes and incidents of long ago that had made lasting impressions upon my impressionable nature how vividly i could recall those scenes i can see them clearly still let me tell you all i saw as i dozed in my sleigh that fine january day 
I saw myself again a boy in my native town of St. Conan's on the northeast of Scotland. The country was clad in the russet mellow robes of harvest. I could see the Conan water pursuing its quiet journey to the sea between finely wooded banks. On the north bank there was the crag, a little hamlet consisting of St. Conan's Episcopal Church, the parsonage, the Craig Inn, where the Defiance coach used to stop and change horses on its way to and from the city, and a few cottages on the opposite bank, the long straggling village of St. Conan's. St. Conan's had for many centuries been a place of considerable importance its moot hill where in olden days the earl of buchan held his court and where justice was executed was still pointed out to the curious a fine old one-arched bridge spanned the river and formed the bond of union between craig and st conan's the main street of the village ran parallel with the river and ended eastward in the market square where stood the old presbyterian parish church the old parish school and the principal places of business on this day which stood out so clearly in my vision the school was deserted and the whole village was more than usually quiet the flag on the tall staff in the square was floating at half-mast the shutters were on every shop window and the blinds were down in every house at intervals the tolling of a bell resounded through the air groups of men in their best sunday blacks were wending their way towards the great entrance gate of the castle the school children were all on the vive for what was about to happen i could see myself among the rest a lad of twelve comfortably clad in homespun eagerly watching for the funeral cortege that would soon appear at last it came no hideous hearse was there but relays of the local volunteer company in their picturesque tartan trues and scarlet tunics took turns in bearing the body to its last resting place colonel forbes the brother of our old laird had been a famous soldier and the men who loved his family and name were carrying him to his burial after the manner that belonged to the forbeses of glenconan in front of all strode a stalwart piper in kilt and plaid of the same dark green tartan that of the clan forbes playing a weird and mournful coronach in my vision i could see the long procession take its way by the main street bridge towards st conan's church on the craig at the gate it was met by a little white-robed company of men and boys who turned and led the way through the churchyard the clergyman reciting the introductory sentences of the anglican burial service when they reached the church door 
six of the oldest tenants on the glenconan estate took the casket from the bearers and carried it up the nave to the chancel steps where the first part of the office was said shall i ever forget the beauty and solemnity of that service it was so different from any service i had ever seen all was so orderly and so void of anything like gloom there was undoubtedly a great deal that to my boyish mind was unintelligible but the general impression produced on me was so profound that i was thrilled to the heart in a way i had never been before following the cortege out from the chancel to the east end of the churchyard i heard the words of christian hope in a glorious resurrection spoken by an old and venerable man of commanding appearance when the casket had been lowered into the grave which was lined with moss and flowers i listened entranced while the choir sang the beautiful hymn father in thy gracious keeping leave we now thy servant sleeping and then when all was over i crept away out of the crowd to ponder over what i had seen and heard brought up on the shorter catechism explained or should i say distorted by stern and unbending teachers i actually believed there was nothing good in any other faith but here i had been brought face to face with a new phase of christian belief and one which to my boyish mind was far more beautiful than that to which i had been accustomed young as i was i had thought a good deal about such matters were i to go to my father he would give me no sympathy but tell me to mind my lessons and leave such things for older heads to consider there was however one man in the village with whom my fondness for books made me a great favorite this was old mr lindsay who had himself been a probationer of the ald kirk but who because of inability to sign the confession of faith had never been received into the ministry for many years he had been a teacher of a semi-private school in another parish but ever since i could remember he had been living near our home retired from professional life and spending most of his time among his books to him i would go for advice and instruction as soon as our frugal supper was over i said to my mother mother i am going to see the old dominie and get him to help me with a gay hard natin version that i have to do for the morn weel weel allan do ye say but see ye dinna buy ower late else your father'll no be pleased in a few minutes i had knocked at the old man's door and had been admitted into the sanctum where i had spent many a happy evening among the books come away laddie and sit ye doon what's the difficulty the night i haena seen ye for twa or three days are they all weel at hame 
Yes, thank you, Mr. Lindsay. Bad body's fine. I had a question or two I'd like to spear at ye, if you please, about the use of the ablative absolute. But, and I hesitated, it was something else I wanted basely to speak to you aboot. I gave to the colonel's burial the day. I will will take the Latin first, sin we'll hear aboot the either mater. My leg was gay troublesome the day, else I would have gone to the funeral. He was a good man, was the old colonel, and all the gentle persuasion in the wrecked sense of the word, and deserved all the respect that could be shown him. In a few minutes I had told my difficulty in the Latin version, and had the construction fully explained, and you may be sure my books were very speedily replaced in my school bag. No, said Mr. Lindsay, taking a pinch of snuff from his silver box and leaning back in his armchair. Ye was at the funeral, ye was saying. What thought ye of that? There would be a lot of folk there, I warrant. I heard the pipes playing the coral knock, and I could not help thinking of the many times that the sound of the pipes had sounded in the old colonel's ear as he led his highlanders to victory. In my simple Scotch way, I tried to tell my old friend all I had seen and heard. It was not like any either burial I ever saw. They didn't hay a black moorcloth over the coffin, but a purple in. Was not that queer? In ordinary conversation, the Domini used the broad Doric Scotch of our part of the country when he had any instructions to give or any important thing to communicate he spoke in good colloquial english although sometimes a scotch word might creep in weel you see alan the episcopalians have a meaning in their use of colours they teach through the eye as well as through the ear just as our master did for several hundreds of years purple has been used as the emblem of penitence and sorrow and as penitence and sorrow for sin if genuine will bring peace so this color teaches that mourning for one who is dead in christ is not without hope but will end in the joy of the resurrection morning what a beautiful idea mr lindsay I never thought they had any meaning in it at all, but just used that color because it was pretty. And they had, oh, such lovely flowers made up in wreaths and crosses laid on the coffin. Orful never had anything of the kind. No, the old Kirk likes to make death as gloomy as possible. In fact, they look on death as if he were always an enemy now the episcopalians teach that if a man is seeking first the kingdom of christ he has no need to fear at death to hear some presbyterian speak you would think that death meant an end of everything whereas the english prayer book teaches that it is only the beginning of another stage of life in a book i have here by a great man called tertullian who lived in the fourth century it is said that the christian church of the first days turned the gloom of the funeral into a triumph 
and that between the death and the burial their religious exercises were expressive of peace and hope they felt that death could not and did not separate them from the love of their heavenly father or from the fellowship of the saints and so they made use of palms and flowers to give expression to their hope and trust now i hope i understand better the meaning of what i saw to-day but there was a day day long ago i heard old willie scott the mason and ye ken he's great on religious matters say to a man in jamie wreath's smithy that there was only a tissue paper wall between the english kirk and roman catholics he said that their white gowns and organs and chantin and hymns were all relics of popery it was just a kirk for the gentle persuasion he said they didna want ony poor folk there dinna ye heed ony old willie's havers he's only a poor narrow-minded body and does not think anybody will be saved except the old white folk the white gowns were used in the oldest and purest ages of the church more than a thousand years before the black geneva gown was heard of and as to organs weel king david himself played on a harp and i'm thinking if the almighty was pleased with that he wouldn't have any objection to a grand instrument like the organ as for the chantin there was plenty of that in the temple when the maester himself was worshipping there and gin he had thought there was anything rang he would ha soon hae let them hear aboot it if willie thinks the english version of the psalms is inspired he's awful sair mistaken some of the meter psalms are perfect doggerel but i'll tell ye alan he spake a true word when he said that the episcopalian kirk was the kirk of the gentle persuasion for there is something in it as a system that helps to make a man gentle and kind and unselfish no doubt there may be many imperfect characters among them but the teaching of their church the use of their prayer-book their ordinances and sacraments all help to make them of the gentle persuasion why laddie the very service you heard the day is a proof of the perfect democracy of her system it is the same burial service that she uses for the poorest of her people as for the most exalted in rank so you see in the way willie meant she's not the kirk of the gentle persuasion thank ye very much for taking the trouble to explain all this to me i was wondering if you could lend me an old prayer book for a day or two i would like to read a bit o't. surely i'll day that alan and with that he went to his bookshelves took down a copy of the book of common prayer and handed it to me putting the precious volume in my pocket i set out for home arriving there in time for family worship which according to the custom of his people my father conducted every evening such was my day-dream so was the first seed sown many years ago but to me it sometimes seems as yesterday so vividly can i recall it all my reverie was a pleasant one by and by i may go back in spirit to those old days and tell you something more of the way by which god led me and some of the difficulties which i had to overcome before i could throw my lot in with the great anglican communion 
End of chapter 1